This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. This past week's parasha, Eladvarim, very important, very special Rashi. Start off the parasha. We know that Meshavenu um, over here was giving Klaisro Musur, but he did it in a very special way. He didn't go straight at them and tell them what they did wrong. But he just reminded him, them of the places that they did it wrong. Like, someone she went to Las Vegas and he did something really bad. But the person who's giving a mutzer is not saying what he did. He's just saying, remember what happened in, in Las Vegas? And the guy already knows what happened in Las Vegas. So, All these different places... Where was where Kleisrel did something wrong? Moshevenu didn't want to go directly. He wanted to go in a roundabout way of saying, "You know what you did over here? What you did wrong?" It's interesting. Where did he learn this from? Where did Moshevenu learn this from? So we see that a Baruch Hu is very important in chinuch of children, whether you're a rebbe, whether you're a parent. So the first avera. That Adam was done by Adam and Chava. Hashem didn't yell at them and scream at them and say, how could you eat from the tree? I gave you everything. How could you eat from the tree? Because Baruch Hu said, Ayaka, where are you? Hashem knew where they were. Adam should have said like, you know where I am. But Hashem said, where are you? Adam said, I'm hiding. Hashem said, why are you hiding? Adam said, because I'm not dressed. Hashem said, how do you know you're not dressed? Did you eat from the tree? And then Adam, of course, blamed Chava. And said, she gave me to eat from the tree. And then Hashem, actually, if you really look at it by Chava, I believe HaKosh Baruch Hu did the same thing to Chava. Let's just take a fast look. When Hashem asked Chava, Mi yigid l'cha ki erem, ha'mena eitz, v'yom ha'adam isha shenasatim, v'yom ha'ashem l'kim li'isha. So what did you do? Hashem didn't say, Oh, Adam told me you gave him to eat from the tree. No. Hashem asked her, what, she, what did you do? So it's very important when you, when, you, when you discipline someone, when you criticize someone, if you yell at them and you criticize them, then you own it. They don't own it, what they did wrong. It's like, oh, my, my father's out of control. My rebbe's out of control. He's yelling at me. He's screaming at me. He's criticizing me. But when you get the person to admit on their own what they did wrong, then they own it. Because Baruch didn't accuse Adam. He let him say, he said, did you eat from the tree? And Adam said, no, she gave me to eat from the tree. And Hashem said, what did you do? What happened? And she said, of course, she blamed the Nachash. Everybody blamed everyone. The Nachash had no one to blame because he was the Satan. So Moshe Rabbeinu did the same thing. He didn't tell them what they did wrong. He just told them where they did it wrong. They thought about what I do in Dizov, I did the Egel, so they owned it. He didn't own it, they owned it. When a person, when a person himself owns it, that's when they can change their lives. The problem with this generation, I don't want to give too much Musr. The problem with this generation, nobody owns anything. My father's fault, my mother's fault, Yeshiva's fault, the world's fault. My therapist said, nothing's my fault. Nothing's your fault. It's everybody else's fault. When I grew up, 
Oi, do we own it? Even if it wasn't our fault. Today nobody owns anything. So it's a problem. If I don't own it, if I didn't do if I don't own my stuff, then I'm not gonna fix my stuff. So everybody else has to fix my stuff. So the whole world owes me I'm a victim, I'm a tragedy, and everybody owes me a trip here, a trip there, go skiing and take me to Israel and fly me around and everything because I didn't do anything wrong, I'm not doing anything wrong, everybody else is doing something wrong. It was a mistake that Adam made, in fact, Rashi says he was a kafei type, that he didn't own it. He should have never said, the woman you gave me gave me to eat from the tree. He should have said, I'm sorry, Hashem, I made a mistake. Had he said that, he would have never been punished. The Isha should have just, instead of blaming the snake, should have said, yeah, I had a taiva, whatever, he took me into it. You know, but I, I own it, I did it. I did it. No, they didn't own their stuff. And therefore, they got punished. So here, Rashi says something amazing. Rashi says the following. He, he, he met, it was criticism, and therefore he only mentioned the places that they did something wrong. He only did a bit of, in a remez. But, nothing has changed, guys. Nothing. Everything is in the Torah. Nothing has changed. When he gave them teichacha, when he gave them criticism, he made sure that everybody was there. Why not tell half class? Well, and they'll tell the rest of the guy. You, you know, I gave a speech and you guys repeat it to your friends. Why don't Moshe Rabbeinu make sure that they're all there? Interesting Rashi. I'll call Yisrael. He said it to all of Yisrael. Had he only said it to half of them and told them to tell it to their friends, the other people who were not there when he said it, Oh, you guys heard this from Ben Amram. They didn't even call him Moshe Abedo. And you didn't answer him? If I would have been there, uh-huh, when the Rebbe said that, I would have told him where it's at. I would have told Ben Amram where it's at. He brought them all. Anyone has something to say? Anybody has, wants to answer? Answer! And guess what? Not one person in Kleistrow answered. They actually owned it all. At this point. Nobody said, but it's not my fault, it's his fault, it's the other fault, I have excuses. I'll tell you a short story about excuses. No excuses. So Chazal say, it's very interesting, he just gives them a heavy, heavy teichacha, and right after the teichacha, right, he says... Hashem lekechem here be'aschem. Hashem should multiply you. Lechinchem hayoyim. Yichayt Hashem mayim leroiv. You should become like the stars. Hashem lekechem sechem yosef lechem kam elof pa'amim. Should give you everything a thousand times. Yivarek eschem kashedi b'lochem, and he should bless you. <laughs> One second, you just gave him tekacha. You just criticized them, and now you're giving them a bracha like this. And Chazal says. That Moshe Rabbeinu was saying that if you accept and own what you do wrong and you don't try to fend for it, you deserve a bracha. I'll tell you a story that happened with my father, Allah Shalom. The Wallsteins will appreciate this story very much because they knew him very well. So I had a hockey game. 
I was very into hockey. We were all into hockey, our family. And I had a hockey game, an ice hockey game in Muncie. It was against the Tovadas team here. They all came in their Ranger uniforms. It was a famous game, whatever. And we won that game. I came home. We won that game, even though we didn't think we were going to win that game. Then I had another game. It was a, a choose-up game with going. Whatever it was, it was... It was a Muncie, we had this game, it was a big game, a very important game to me anyway. And it was on a Muncie Shabbos, and I came home, my father was laying in his bed, I think it was around 12.30 at night, I came home, and he said, New Zechariah, how'd it go, how'd the game go? I said, Ta, so anyone who knows anything about ice or skates knows that sometimes the arena is very warm, and because of that, the top of the ice melts a little bit. So there's water on the ice. When there's water on the ice, you're skate, you can't skate well. It's, it's, we call it slow ice. So my father asked me, how'd the game go? I told him, ugh, it was terrible. It was terrible. It, 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 it was not much water on the ice. It was so slow. It was hard to skate. He said, oh, Zachaya, you lost. I'll never forget it. I said, Ty, I didn't tell you, what, I didn't tell you if I lost the one. How do you know I lost? I will never forget what he said to me that night. He said, winners don't make excuses. Nobody ever came home and said, you want to know the excuse why I won? The minute I said the ice was slow, he knew I lost. Why are you making excuses? Winners don't make excuses. So let me tell you a story about excuses. So there was this Jewish person who never, ever learned, never went to yeshiva. His parents went from and never diving, never learned, because he never knew how to read. After 120 years, he comes to Shemayim, and he's sitting in front of Bezin Shalmaila, and they're like, you never went to shul. You never learned a word. You never prayed. You're totally disconnected. He said, rabbis, 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 calm down, it's not my fault. And my parents weren't religious. They never sent me to Sunday school. They never sent me to day school. I don't, I never, they never told me the alphabet. I don't, I didn't know how to read. So if I didn't know how to read, I couldn't dive and I couldn't learn. I couldn't do anything. Hmm. It's a good excuse. What do we do with him? It's not his fault. Send him to Gehenim? Chas for Shalom. He doesn't deserve Gehenim. It's not his fault. Send him to Ganeidan? What's he going to do there? Yeshiva Shalmaili. He doesn't know how to read. What should we do with him? They came up with a brilliant new idea in Shemayim. They're going to give him a passport. Passport signed by three rabbis that whenever he wants to go to Ganeiden, he could go to Ganeiden. Whenever he wants to go to Gehenim, he could go to Gehenim. He's got a passport to go in Shemayim wherever he wants. Okay? He gets his passport because he couldn't know how to read. He's now allowed to go wherever he wants. So of course he goes to Ganeiden. Comes to Ganeiden, the Malach is there. The Zayar says that when you come to Ganeiden, there's two Malachim that bring you in. And the uh, Malach by the gate of Ganeiden says, Where's your Malachim? Who said you could be here? He said, Oh, I, I have something really new. It's special. They told me it's the first one they ever printed. I have a passport to get into Ganeiden. Malach says, Really? A passport? He says, Yeah, check it out. Gives him the passport. He says, So, Ben So. He's allowed to go into Ganeiden or Gehenim anytime he wants. Okay? They let him into Ganeiden. He comes into Ganeiden because of the chevre he used to hang with. He has no friends in Ganeiden. There's no one in there that he knows. And they're giving shiurim. 
And it's boring. So he sits there for a little bit. He says, nah, this doesn't do it for me. So he comes back to the Malach. And he says, I'm out of here. Malach says, okay, yeah, see, you have a passport. You can come and go wherever you want. And he comes to the gate of Gehenna. And the Malach of Gehenna is standing there. And he says, I'm here, I want to come see my friends. And the Malach says, you can't come to Gehenna unless you have two angels that bring you. Who said you can come to Gehenna? He says, oh, uh, you guys, you don't talk to each other. There's no communications up here. You don't have like a Malach and WhatsApp. Like, hello, I have a passport. Malach looks at it says, whew, you do have a passport, okay? You can come into Gehenna. He walks into Gehenna. His friends are all sitting there. They're partying. They're having children. They're Kugel and Kishka. And they're herring and all the good stuff and scotch. More than 21 years old. Maybe 200 years old. Maybe 2,000 years old. I don't know exactly. And he's like, wow! This is Gehenna? You guys are partying! They're like, yeah, see, Shabbos. Shabbos. Gehenna's closed. So Shabbos, the whole Shemayim has Shabbos. But... There's five minutes left till Matzah Shabbos. It ain't going to be nice in here in five minutes. You better get out of here. He said, okay, no problem. Five minutes go by. Shabbos is out. And it's getting really hot. And it's getting really uncomfortable. And he says, okay, guys, I'll see you next Shabbos. I'm out of here. I'm going back to Ganadian. And he comes to the gate, but Shabbos, the, the, the angel of Shabbos and the angel of Chol, they change. So now it's the angel of Chol, and he comes to the angel of Chol, and he says, I have a passport, let me out. And the angel of Chol says, you have a what? Wow, you guys don't talk to each other. He says, I have a passport, that's how I got in here. Now let me out, it's really uncomfortable. And the angel says, let me see your passport. And he gives him the passport, and the angel's like, hmm, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Um, I don't know what this is. And he flips the passport into the fire. No passport anymore. Were you crazy? Aha! How am I going to get into Ghanaian? I need the passport! It just burnt up! What did you do? The angel says, well, what did it say in the passport? It said that because they didn't know how to read... And and the three and, and it's not my fault and therefore the, the the three rabbis they shine in the paper that I could go in and out wherever I want. He says, Really? That's what it said? I don't believe you. So what's wrong with you? Can't you read? And he goes, No, they never taught me how to read up here. Yeah, good excuse. It gets you nowhere. Winners have no excuses. It gets you nowhere. So, I was very, very close to Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald. All the shalom. He was like the mechanic of girls. He was amazing. He was an amazing man. And I came up to Camp Sternberg. I was going to speak in Camp Sternberg. And I always used to go early before I spoke to, to come talk to him. And I walked in. And he was talking to a girl, totally off the derech. She had piercings. She had even had tattoo on her hand, I saw. She wasn't dressed at all. He helped a lot of kids in months. He helped a lot of kids that were off the derech. And he was talking to her. 
and um, really being nicer. He was very good and unbelievable in Kirov. And I only had a couple of minutes left. And she, she got up and she walked out and she left. Whatever. She came and she left. So he said to me, Zachariah, um, you know who this girl is? I'm like, no, I, I don't know her. He said, her name is Chani. I said, okay. He said, um, let me tell you something. I'll never forget this. He said, you saw she not really just sneers and she has tattoos and she has piercings. That's not Chani. The piercings, the tattoo, and the short skirt, that's Chani's trauma. Chani? I know Chani. Tzadikistah. All that stuff you see on the Chitzonius, that's not her. Every Jew is born with a neshama that HaKadosh Baruch Hu put in them, that's the essence of the person. All the other stuff that you see, that's a person's trauma. And I'm sure a lot of people in this room have heard this already. It's the person's trauma. It's not him. But I'm a Wallerstein. So I looked at Rabbi Greenwald and I said, Okay, is she in therapy? Yup. Is she on medication? Yup. I'm like, so it seems to me that you're taking care of the trauma part. But who's taking care of the Khani part? You told me it's not Khani. So you're taking care of all that stuff. Chil Shabbos, the eating tray, all that stuff. You're taking care. But who's who's going to get this person into Ghana then? Who's going to get this person off the floor? Sir Rabbi Greenwald, I hear you. The whole world is traumatized. We're traumatized. A whole morning you're saying, Kenneth, if you're not traumatized by Kenneth, there's nothing going to traumatize you. A brother and sister hugging till they're dead. 300 girls jumping off a boat, and then 300 boys or 400 boys jumping off a boat till they're dead. Yishayahu getting shot up with 300 arrows. Women eating their children. Children eating their father. You know all the stories in Kinnis, I don't have to tell you. Trauma? Tishabov is trauma. Sitting on the floor. It's got a lot of trauma. We got a lot of excuses. <laughs> to go off the derech, six million Jews, Spanish Inquisitions, Crusades, every time we try to be from, whack, Marone, Florida, Stalin. Right? Trauma. We have trauma. Because Boku says, till 102. Till 102. Till 102. You're going to sit on the floor and you're going to cry and I'm going to cry with you. And I'm going to validate you. But at 102, the bottom line is you have an excuse. But if you have an excuse and you stay on the floor after you fall and you don't get up for the rest of your life, you're on the floor. Winners don't have excuses. So Hashem says at 102, get off the floor. Put on your tefillin. Put on your towels. Ladies, start cooking for the meal tonight. You can't just live in your trauma. You can't just be a victim. You have to be a survivor. Yes, you have a right 
You have a right to be a victim, and you have a right to be in trauma, and you have a right to take care of that. You have to take care of that. But after Chatzois, Hashem says, Stay off! Get up! Go back into life! Go on Avenue J now, at, 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 after, after Mincha. Everyone's in the bakery. What happened? This morning you're talking about women eating their children, now you're buying bagels, a dozen bagels with locks for tonight for breaking the fast. And the answer is yes. Yes, you can't live in trauma your whole life. This is what Tisha B'Av is all about. I want to tell you a story. So anyway, Rabbi, Rabbi Greenwald, he opened up he opened up a school to take care of them, a Muncie Academy. He opened up Muncie Academy, and I have to tell you that when it closed because of finances, he became very sick. And I went to visit Rabbi Greenwald, and it was years after I had gone to Sternberg, and I said to him, I'm here to help Chani. And he said, he didn't remember, and he said, like, Chani? Who's Chani? I said, remember I came to Sternberg, that girl? Right, so I'm saying like, you have therapists and everything, and I'll try to help that side too, but we need to help the other side. We need to help the Neshama, we need to help the Kedusha. Not Chas V'Shalom, buy them Chas V'Treif and all, all these other things, and take them to the other side. No, just you have to do There's two sides to that human being. we got to help Chani, we got to take care of her. <laughs> There's an article written in a magazine this week. Mudna article. Mudna thing. A guy called me, he said, you have to read it. Usually that means I shouldn't read it. And in the article it talks about this rabbi, whatever, and he writes that, that there was a girl, and this is like supposed to be positive, there was a girl, Mati Shabbat, Erev Pesach, who came downstairs and told her father she's going to the bar. So her father went and got a $20 bill, and it's in, you can read it, and said, the first drink is on me. That's supposed to be the, a normal thing to do, and I'm thinking to myself, the first drink is on you. She can go to the bar. You paid for the drink. She's going to get drunk. She's going to get abused again. Her whole trauma, she got abused as a kid. Now you're, gonna, you're, you're giving her money to get abused again. Or she's going to get drunk and kill someone. Like, what are you talking about? And then it said, it's not her fault because she went through a trauma. And therefore, she didn't know it was Erev Pesach. What say Pesach? She didn't even know it was Erev Pesach because she went through this trauma. I'm like, what do you mean she didn't know? Her father didn't buy the matzah. They weren't cleaning for Pesach. What are you saying? Winners don't make excuses. What are you saying? What are you writing? What about Chani? What about Ernest Shama? Rabbi Greenwald. So I said to Rabbi Greenwald, me and you, you're going to be my dean. We're going to open up BCA. Baruch Hashem schools 13 years because, yes, there's therapists and psychiatrists and, and psychiatrists and psychologists and, and, and everything else that needs to be because you have to take care of the trauma side. You have to validate the trauma side. The person went through trauma. It's it's a very serious thing. But there's a second side. And that's in each one of us, everybody. We're very busy with the trauma side. And you need to be, because if you're not healthy, there's no Kaylee for the other side. But there's another side. What's going to be in Shemayim? You're going to have an excuse. You're going to get a passport. Because Bocha was abused, I went through this, I went through that. My parents, my Rebbe, my this, my that, and you're 100% right. And they're going to give you a passport, and they're going to say, wow, first time we ever heard this excuse, or the thousand times excuse, here's a passport. But what do you have? Winners have no excuses. I got a phone call last week. 
I'm on my way to my ranch in the mountains. It takes about two and a half hours. I like to talk to Holocaust survivors because I deal with a lot of girls that have gone through a lot of trauma. And believe me, I validate. I validate it. And people don't don't realize that when you hurt a child, you it would have been easier if you killed them because they suffer their whole life. There's nothing to talk about. It's not a failure to fall. It's a failure not to get up. And I understand it. So I like to talk to Holocaust survivors because that trauma that they went through, how do you survive that? And if I could hear an answer, then I could use this survival that they used in their trauma to help kids that are going through trauma. So I love to talk to Holocaust survivors. So I get this phone call from a lady. She says, Rabbi Wallace, you told a story, must have been 15 years ago. I haven't said the story. I forgot the story totally. She said, you told a story about someone in the Lutz ghetto. I want you to know that that story saved my granddaughter, who was totally Michal Shabbos, and changed her whole life. I'm like, how did she hear the story? I haven't said that story. She said, I said it over. I said, what, what was the story exactly? She said the following. I remember saying the story, and I have not said it in a very long time. So in the Holocaust, in the Lutz ghetto, if you were caught smuggling bread, so what they used to do, the Nazis, every Nazi should drown. You know what they did? If they caught someone, they didn't just kill you, they made a court case. Because in case the Red Cross would come, they didn't want to, so they made a court case. And they would judge you. Now the judge was a Jew, always a Jew. The defense lawyer was a Jew, the clerk was a Jew, the prosecutor was a German. And they would have a court case. This lady, every day, was working in a bakery outside of the, of the ghetto. Of course, she couldn't bring anything in. And one day, a woman came to her and said, I know that you work in this bakery. My children are dying. I have seven children. They're dying. Could you smuggle a loaf of bread for us? She said, you know, if I get caught, they're going to kill me. She said, I know, but if you, if you don't do this for us, they're not going to live out the week. Seven children. So she did it. She took a loaf of bread. She hid it under her dress. Somebody in the bakery ratted on her, and the Germans caught her coming back through the gate. She had one daughter, a seven-year-old kid. And now they're going to have the court case. So they bring her into court. Jewish judge, Jewish defense lawyer, Jewish clerk, German prosecutor. And the prosecutor gets up and says, so-and-so was caught. He has the loaf of bread. Under her dress, we found this. And the punishment is, we will break every bone in her body till she's dead. To teach everyone in the ghetto that this is what happens to someone who smuggles. And the defense lawyer says to the lady, to the Jewish woman, I don't know what her name was, Leah, whatever, say something in your defense. You see, from what I heard, she didn't smuggle the bread for her or her daughter. She smuggled the bread for another family. Please say something to the judge. And the judge says, yeah, what do you have to say? Of course, the judge is going to find her guilty anyway, but it doesn't matter. And she stands there. Nothing. Doesn't say a word. 
And the defense lawyer says, Leah, if you're not going to say anything, they're going to find you guilty. They're going to break every bone in your body. Say something. Nothing. And her little daughter looks up at her and says, Mommy, Mommy, please say something. Tell them the truth. You didn't give me the bread. You weren't bringing it for me. You were bringing it for the other lady. Just tell them that. Because, of course, the kid thought that she could defend herself. Nothing. And the judge says, you have one more chance to defend yourself. Say something. Nothing. They take her out. And they beat her in front of everyone. Every bone in her body, they broke. And she's dying. And they put her on a stretcher. And they say, okay, take her back to her room. She's not going to make it through the night. They just dump the body in the street. And they take her back to her room, Nebuch, this poor woman, broken, bleeding from her ears, her nose, her mouth. I mean, they mamish broke her to pieces. And this poor little girl is standing next to her dying mother. And she says to her mother, Mama, why didn't you say something, Mommy? Why didn't you defend yourself? Why didn't you say something? And this broken, dying woman turns to her daughter and whispers, Shabbos. Shabbos. So, you didn't do anything wrong, Ma. You weren't Michal Shabbos. Why couldn't you say something? The clerk who was writing all the notes was Jewish. And he would have to write every word I would say and be Machal Shabbos. You can never help or make another Jew be Machal Shabbos. That was the last word she ever said, and she died. She said, Ray Wallstein. They hid from me that my 15-year-old granddaughter was being Mechal Shabbos. But I was at my daughter's house. It's on the phone. I was at my daughter's house, and 12 o'clock, I went to go to the bathroom. I saw my granddaughter going down the steps in a short skirt with earphones on, on Shabbos. I didn't know she was Mechal Shabbos. So I waited for Matisha. I didn't say anything. I told my daughter that... Next Shabbos, I want to come back to her because this young 16-year-old played like she kept Shabbos. She was at the Shabbos table. The grandmother never knew this. She said, but put, we'll just give her a name, Batya. I want her to sit next to me at the Shabbos table. So she said, Ray Wallstein, I put my granddaughter next to me and I told you a story at the table about this unbelievable woman in the, in the lunch ghetto. And I whispered in my granddaughter's ear, I love you, Shabbos. But Shabbos is Shabbos. So Rabbi Walton, I'm calling you, it was a week ago. I'm calling you to tell you, you don't even understand my granddaughter. Not only does she keeps Shabbos, but she has a phone like you. She doesn't even have a smartphone anymore. She has a flip phone. I just want to thank you. I said, don't thank me. Thank that lady that gave her life for Shabbos. So I want to end with this. I'm not criticizing anyone. 
I'm not criticizing, criticizing those who can't get out. I'm giving chizuk to take care of both sides. Come to Shemayim, and I'm going to tell you this last story. I have two minutes. It's worth it. So I'd like to talk to um, Holocaust survivor. I met a Holocaust survivor I didn't even know that lives here in Flatbush. He's 96 years old. He's a gavra. He's a shliach tzibah on Yom Kippur. He stands for three hours. He's a shliach tzibah. He's 96. Can I know how his wife is 95? Amazing man. Stark. So in COVID, we had a minion in, you know, a tent, whatever, it wasn't a shul. And I got to talk to him and uh, whatever, after Yom Kippur, whatever, after Yontif, so I was sitting next to him on the Shabbos, we had a little kiddish, you know, with the, the herring and a clothes thing and the cake and a clothes thing and... It's like, I'd rather just go home than, than open all this stuff. But anyway, I'm sitting next to him. I said, could I ask you a question? And you don't have to worry, no matter what you say, Rabbi Wallstein is not going off the derech. He said, okay, what, what do you want to know? I'm like, you went through the Holocaust. I mean, like, your whole town died. Your, everyone died. You lost everything. He, he didn't even know that six million Jews died. They didn't know. When they were in Auschwitz, they didn't even know that six million Jews died. They knew what was going on in Auschwitz, and Treblinka knew what was going on in Treblinka. Until they, after the war, we knew much more in America what was going on. Until after the war, and they were all in these DP camps, and they were all talking to each other, they just thought they were murdering people in Auschwitz. There was a little rumors, but they didn't know. He said, he found out there were six million Jews that died. I said, you had a question? Come on, you got to be normal. Like, people are asking questions on Maroon. That wasn't six million Jews. People are asking questions on Florida, right? So you can imagine six million. We can't even imagine that. 35 people, 150 people. We can't imagine six million Jews. Family members. So he said, did you have a question? And he looks at me with his blue eyes and he goes, yes, I did. I'm like, okay, finally a normal Holocaust survivor that had a question. How did you not have a question? I'm like, don't worry, you can tell me what the question is. Uh, I understand, I'm Mikabal. And he looks at me and he says, when I found out that six million Jews died, I asked Hashem, if six million Jews died, why did you save me? What's so special about me? I'm like, you never asked why six million Jews died? Nope. No, and that's what they all say. They all say the same answer. Every one of them. No questions on Hashem. Why the six million died, I don't know. My question is, why did you save me? He said, and I looked up at the sky when I asked Hashem that question. And I said, after 120 years, when I'm standing in front of you, Hashem, you will know why you saved me. I am going to make a Kiddush Hashem in this world. I am going to be able to stand and say, good choice. This guy's a stocky guy. And then he started rattling off to me. My grandson's in Brisk, this one's a doctor, this one's a lawyer, this guy's in Kylo, this guy's in Rub, this guy's there. And he went through the whole thing and he said, I'm 96 years old and I'm not finished. And after 120 years, I'm not coming with a passport, with excuses. I went through trauma. No passport. I don't need a passport. I'm going to stand in front of Hashem and say, good choice. Even though I went through all that trauma, good choice. I used that trauma to build, to help. Because I know what it feels like 
so I can build places to help people who go through that. No passport. He's not looking for a passport. Everyone in this room, everyone who's listening, you woke up this morning. Hashem has nothing extra in His world. The Gemara says that every blade of grass has a malach. There's nothing extra. The story, there's two Rabbanim and a, a leaf fell off a tree and the Rav said, ah, see it's extra. It's dead, it's off the tree, what could it be doing? And the other Rav says, let's go look. It's a famous story. And they picked up the leaf that fell off the tree and there was a little inchworm that was dying in the sun and the leaf saved them. There's nothing, not a hair on your head, there's nothing extra in this world. Which means, which means that if you were born, if you go, if you woke up this morning, you're not extra. Means Hashem needs you in His world. Wow! I tell this to all the girls that are depressing and depressed. I'm like, when you woke up this morning, Hashem is saying, I'm God, and Miriam, I need you in my world today. You're not extra. I'm like, how could you not jump out of bed, look in the mirror and say, God needs me. Not the Marines. God needs me. I said, your job is to figure out why. It's nice to be needed, but like, what, what am I going to do different? And therefore, every single night before you go to sleep, the Chavetz Chaim says, you have to go over your day to think about what you did. Was there a reason I was in the world today? You think it was to be on my phone? To watch a movie? Like, is that why I, he needs me in the world? He's got millions of people watching movies and are on their phone and doing all this other stuff. There must be a different reason. Maybe give it a A, make someone smile, make a bracha, bracha to Hashem. That's not normal that a little worm like me could bless Hashem. He needs my bracha. It's like my, it's like a cockroach on my, on the steps saying, good morning, Rabbi Wallerstein, you should be benched. I'll step on him and crunch him. Like, what do you, give me no bracha. You're a cockroach. Give me a bracha. Hashem needs my bar, my bracha. Hashem needs your bracha. Hashem says, yes, I need your bracha. You need to give me a bracha because it makes you a better person. So we all need to think about what this man said. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we went through, if I woke up this morning, I don't need a passport. If I woke up this morning, that means that Hashem needs me in His world. And I'm going to go to sleep tonight and say, I'm proud of what I did today. You do need me in your world. It's a ridiculous thing. Why me? How many of us... How many of us asked that question this morning and you woke up? Like, thousands of people died last night across the world. Why me? Why did I wake up? Why me? Why did I wake up? Now you've got to figure out why. At the end of the day, after doing what you're supposed to, you know why. Hi, it's another Tisha B'Av. I know it's a little bit late. We're going to dab Mincha. So I was in the Amazon. Some of you guys heard about this. Meshuggah and Wallace, went to the Amazon with nine other guys. Don't ask. Tarantulas, 100 degrees, 95 humidity, Meshuganam. Lived in huts, no hot water. Just, I did something crazy in my life. But I really wanted to see Hashem's Bria. So the last day I'm there, we're going on the Amazon River for sunrise. The river is like a piece of glass. Everything reflects. We were 10 guys. Only five guys woke up. I was one of them. And we're sitting in this boat with these two Amazonian Goyim who were our our guides. And the sun's coming up and these other four guys that were with me, they're all big photographers with the lenses like this and, you know, and the jungle is humming. It's humming over there. 
and monkeys and sloths and chan and you name it, whatever you want. And I'm sitting on this boat and I'm watching the sun rise. And I get up and I'm like, guys, you know that Adam, when he was created, it was light. He never saw a night. It was Erev Shabbos. And right after he ate from the Eitz Adas, it began to get dark. Ben So he thought, as Medrash says, Medrash Rabbah, he thought he destroyed the world. He is in this world, it's light. He eats from the Eitz Adas, and all of a sudden, the sun starts setting. He's like, Ayvei, me and Chava just destroyed the world. And the whole night he did tshuva. Thinking he couldn't see anything anymore. So there were no trees, there were no bugs, there were no flies, there was no, nothing. He really thought he destroyed the world. He never saw a night. And the whole night, the Medrash says he was crying doing tshuva. Sunrise, in the morning, all of a sudden it starts getting light. He starts seeing things. He's like, Hashem accepted our tshuva. The world's still here. And he sang, So as the sun was rising, I said to the other four guys with me in the boat, okay, let's do Kalabach's Mizmah. These two had to listen to me sing. These two uh, Amazonians. And we're singing in the boat, Mizmah, Mizmah, Shabbos. All the monkeys stopped, everything stopped, the noise stopped, no, I'm kidding, that didn't happen, right? And we're singing Ms. Moshe, and these two guys are looking at me, and I'm like, this is the greatest song when the Messiah comes, when Mashiach comes, Klai Yisrael, the song we're going to sing, there's a lot of songs we have, right? Got a lot of records, a lot of stuff? No. I don't know if it's going to be Kalabach, Ms. Moshe, Shabbos, but it's going to be Ms. Moshe, Shabbos. Why? Because that's the sheer that the first human being who lived in darkness a whole night and cried, saw sunrise, and saw that after every darkness is the sunrise. That was it. That's what I said. We were singing this Moshe. It was amazing. I can't explain it to anyone in this room. It was off the charts. The Amazon never had anyone singing Ms. Moshe. So these two Goyim, we come back to the hut, and one of them turns to me and says, you know, Rabbi, it's interesting, that the Jews are like the Amazonians. Not quite. I'm like, why are you saying that? He says, we have a saying. Don't worry. After every night, there's a morning. We are now in that night. But I'm telling you all, don't worry. After every night, there's a morning. May we all be zayichet to see Mashiach from Harry You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.